Hi, this is Carolyn Bradfield, and you're listening to Convey's Microcast audio series. Carolyn Bradfield with Convey, and I'd like to welcome Kurt Allen into our microcast studio. This is the first time we've done a conversation as part of our podcast series. So welcome, Kurt. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, so we're going to start our conversation with uh, what a lot of people are interested in knowing about you. Um, you're in the process of transitioning away from Windstream into a new initiative. Tell us about the decision that you've made to um, make a transition in your career. Well, I, I think a, a lot of people knew that from when I took the job at Windstream back in November of 2017, uh, the plan was never for that to be a long-term gig. Uh, Lane and I had, you know, early on kind of had a vision, Lane Levine, the, the president of Windstream Enterprise, you know, had a vision for transitioning, transforming the partner program from what was a legacy telco partner program, uh, pretty typical of, of late 90s, early 2000s, into a, a solutions-driven program, uh, selling upmarket solutions like SD-WAN, UCAS, CCAS, those types of things. So, you know, we embarked on what was going to be a two to three year transition. Um, certainly, the restructuring threw a wrinkle in that as far as some of the things that we wanted to accomplish, but it didn't really change the ultimate goal. And uh, about a year ago, I hired a gentleman by the name of uh, Matt Milliron, uh, and he was the heir apparent from that from that point. Uh, so we're kind of at a, a time in the restructuring where we're making some significant decisions about uh, reimagining the program from a kind of uh, traditional program where direct sales and indirect sales kind of go to market separately to a far more integrated channel harmony is the is the term we're using using for it, uh, a, a true channel integration program uh, to go out to the marketplace and and. We're going to finish some significant restructuring over the next few weeks, and it just really made sense as opposed to kicking off this new Channel Harmony program with me at the helm and then handing it off in three, six, nine months. It made a lot more sense to kind of move Matt into that seat today uh, so he can hit the ground running with, with the new organization. So it sounds like you feel pretty um, confident about things that you've accomplished and the transition. If you could wave the magic wand, do you feel like you've hit the key points that you've wanted to hit or were there still things left to do that you would have liked to have accomplished? Well, there were a lot of things. I mean, I'm a, a sales leader at heart. So, you know, the results could have been better. The restructuring certainly put some wind in our faces as far as getting to the the aggregate kind of revenue results that we would have liked. But ultimately, the goal was to transform the program, and I think we've accomplished that. And the goal was to leave the program in good hands moving forward. And with Matt Milliron and Eric Solomon and Nick Moyer and the, and the people now at the helm, we definitely accomplished that. And the goal was to create um, the highest number of good outcomes for the highest number of partners who had really dug in with us. And I think we did the absolute best we, we could there. So all in all, kind of looking back at my time at Windstream, I certainly don't regret the time I was there. Um, do I wish we could have sold more? Do I wish we could have got there faster? Absolutely. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm pleased with the results and have a lot of confidence in the program going forward. So as you know from your time in the master agent world and your time at Windstream and me from the side of 
run and convey services, we know that this channel is rapidly evolving and changing, lots of new things happening. If you could give any advice to master agents, vendors, or partners about how to manage through these changes in the channel, what would you tell them? Well, I, I think that some of the, the old adages hold true. You need to partner deep with your providers. You need to latch on to those that, that you feel comfortable with going to market. Uh, but what has changed is it's not the way it used to be where you just go out and sell services and place them under a contractual agreement, kind of the transaction driven side. You need to dig in deep with these providers. You know, Windstream, for example, and even our competitors and peers out there, it's not about carrying a line card and going out and selling widgets and coming back and, and, and placing orders with us. You really need to get elbow to elbow with whoever that solution provider or carrier is and, and sell these solutions in concert. And, and you know, the reason that we've shifted so heavily at Windstream to a channel integration model is because without our subject matter experts in these large deals, they just don't get sold. And you know, today, any customer of scale um, will benefit from working with a partner, uh, but also any customer of scale is gonna need the subject matter expertise that a direct selling org has with that carrier. So uh, my advice is to you know, break yourself out of the silos, um, you know, open your mind a little bit to working with direct sales orgs where it makes sense, uh, and continue to just absorb content and information about emerging services like SD-WAN, like UCAS, CCAS, those types of things. So you and I are both making a transition, um, you away from the channel that you've worked in for a while. And um, as I announced earlier this year, I'm stepping aside as the CEO of Convey Services to focus on a company that we created called Interact Lifeline. Um, you're very familiar with why I'm doing that, but for our listening audience, um, many people don't know the fact that for 15 years, my daughter, Laura, struggled with substance abuse and addiction, and just about a little, almost two years ago, she lost her life to an overdose. And that's really motivated me to take a look at um, the experience that I had with her, what did I learn about it, what processes are in place today to address the prevention of addiction and the way that we think about it and treat it, and can the technology that we've used um, be better purposed to help keep people connected to treatment longer, to connect their families, um, and connect people to support communities so that we can improve the way people recover and reduce relapse and save lives. So that's my motivation um, for Interact Lifeline. You've been a board member and an advisor for a while, but you're now gonna take a more active role. Um, why don't you give everybody an understanding of why you're passionate about the space and what you wanna accomplish when you come here? Well, you know, um, uh, let me address that kind of generally and then I'll get kind of specific for this cause. But, you know, as I've gotten to this stage in my career, there was a book and I've told you about it. Uh, Buchanan is the author called Halftime. And, this, and it's kind of about getting to that stage in your life where you've maybe built some businesses, had some success, but you kind of, you know, get to that, huh, what's next? What do we do now? And the subtitle to the book is my favorite thing. It's, it's 
from a life of success to a life of substance. So I really feel like that I'm at a point in my career where um, you know there's a lot of things I know I can do in and around the technology space that I know, but I would love to dig into something that I can be more passionate about that has more of a higher purpose. So that's just kind of a general stage of life comment. Um, but now specific to this, obviously you and I have been friends for a long time and I followed Lars journey and um, for you know well, obviously you, you know uh, my wife and I fund a scholarship for um, students in recovery at Kennesaw State and Lars the namesake for that so uh, obviously I'm close to that being a close friend of, of yours and the family that specific scenario but in my own personal journey the reason that I work work in and around the recovery community is I'm in recovery it'll be nine years this year so uh, for me it's it's also part of my ongoing sobriety is to be of service to those in and around sobriety. One of the things that has really bothered me about the recovery space is that we have we have modalities that we know aren't successful. We know 28 days in a rehab does not get a meth addict or a heroin addict uh, sober. We know that they're gonna their recidivism rate in that first year is off the charts, like 85%. But because we're in that same old mode of kind of HMO driven and what the insurance companies will pay for. Um, the government's approach to kind of shame, arrest, incarcerate these things, this war on drugs that's gone on for you know 80 years, um, not only with with little to no success, but with incredible harm done um, in and around the addiction community. That there has to be a better way. So to get involved with with Interact Lifeline and to be able to take something that I do have some knowledge about, kind of you know building companies and technology and deploying existing technologies. Um, to, to, you know, to solve problems in the space is extremely interesting because I believe that we in the marketplace can deliver solutions far more agile, far more technologically savvy, and far more effective than bureaucrats can. Um, so that's really, you know, my passion is to be able to get involved with something um, that we can truly help people, but also build a business that could be transformative. I mean, we could look back on this and say we changed the way a lot of people thought about addiction and recovery. We changed the uh, the effectiveness of some of these modalities that have been, you know, less than optimum in the past. And so, and that's really what's driving me to this. And so, it's a it's a time in my life where I have the opportunity to kind of jump into something like this, uh, but it's also the specific cause. You know, one thing that I know from my research is that the opioid crisis has thrown all of us into a level of chaos. Um, we know that 70,000 people overdose and die each year, 60% of those from um, prescription pills and opioids. That's more than the Vietnam War and all the Gulf Wars combined. Uh, we know that the number of people that need treatment and the access to it and treatment professionals, there's, there's a mismatch there. So we've got to get more efficient at the way that we deliver treatment. And you're right, 30 days in rehab uh, doesn't do it. People need to be connected longer. And the research supports that if you stay connected to your rehab for at least six months consecutively following treatment, your relapse rate drops by a lot. A lot of people don't know that you and I have a common background because we both came from the conferencing industry. And so we actually saw technology really transform the way that salespeople um, got managed by their managers. You no longer had to bring people in to a live meeting. You could do conference calls. 
people could conduct virtual sales calls. Um, so it was very transformative in the way that people managed others. And I think we now have an opportunity to have technology transform um, processes, as you said, and I agree with you, that are not working. Are there other examples that you think from a technology perspective where technology has transformed things um, the way we've done business, kind of to give us a, an analogy to what we want to do today with Interact? Well, I mean, there's so many of the things. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about at Interact, uh, we're not looking at splitting atoms. We're looking at using uh, specific technologies that exist today. So we know it's not realistic for every addict to end up to get a bed for um, you know 365 days. That 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 with the cost of healthcare and the crisis around that, economically, that's not feasible. So how do we keep po folks connected to programs once they're you know, out of that 28-day rehab so that they stay connected to programs and we can, you know, give accountability and deliver success. Well, it's, you know, some of them are the same technologies that, you know, I, I sold to a customer about two years ago, a fast food restaurant in California, where we use geofencing. We use basically a technology that allowed them to geofence somebody's cell phone or a smart device and know where that person was. And they deployed it because their problem was soggy french fries, that their takeout customers were coming in, taking their food home and didn't like the, the weren't having the experience they wanted because the french fries were soggy. So now they geofence that customer. When that customer gets within a mile and a half of the restaurant, it gives an indicator to them and they drop the fries. And so they're handing off crispy fries. So what the hell does that have to do with addiction and recovery? Well, that idea of having a smart device where we could now deliver accountability to addicts in, in long-term recovery, we could geofence that person to confirm they're at their group meeting or they're at an AA meeting or an NA meeting. We could geofence that smart device so that if that person goes to the section of the city that they've always copped heroin in, it could throw a flag up. Heck, the technology even exists that we could monitor um, their heart rate. And if we have a heroin addict whose heart rate drops below a certain level, that device now dials 911 and the EMTs come running with, with Narcan. Um, so like to me, the, the applications are endless. Like we don't have to build a lot of new things. We have to take the things that are out there in the marketplace and just deploy them within this space. So one of the big successes that you're already involved in and you've been involved in for a couple of years is supporting collegiate recovery communities. You sit on the board of Kennesaw State and Atlanta's um, Collegiate Recovery um, Center for Youth and Addiction and Recovery, and they've had tremendous success. Describe a little bit about how collegiate recovery is a shining example um, of success and what happens when you can keep people connected to a community and how that works. Well, and, and this is one that's kind of near and dear to me. And, and fortunately, you know, Kennesaw State is basically the flagship collegiate recovery community um, in the country. And Teresa Johnston, the program she's built there is just absolutely amazing. And we're, and we're able to push that out to other schools around the country. But we found is we like to talk out of both sides of our mouth in, in, in society. We like to say um, we want to apply shame to addiction and we want to say, well, these people need to be uh, contributing members of society. But then what do we do? We have a young kid who, you know, suffers from addiction. Uh, they get sober and then they try to go to college and they can't get into the get into college because they flunked out of two colleges while they're in, in usage. They can't even get a lot of jobs because 
in throughout the records of their usage, they probably got a couple of felonies and, and arrests. They certainly have gaps in employment. So we have all these barriers to especially young people that won't allow them to be contributing members to society. So what they need is we need a couple of things. We need a support structure so that when we get them into colleges, they have all the resources they need to have success. But before even that, these kids, their parents spent their college fund on rehabs. You know, these kids come, they're broke. So we need money. So we, you know, the centers, we, we, uh, our primary goal is to, is to generate funds for scholarships for these kids. The next primary goal is to give them all the support they need once they're inside the university. And then lastly, we've even moved into things like sober living, uh, you know, daily meetings, just a, an incredible support structure to the point that at Kennesaw, we have a higher graduation rate than the general population of the school within the, the Center for Young Adult Addiction and Recovery. We have a higher GPA than the general population of the school. And my favorite stat is the recidivism rate in that program is lower than the general population's addiction rate. So let, let figure that out. So we've got a group of 93 addicts and alcoholics in a program over at Kennesaw State, and the likelihood of them going back out in, into active addiction is less than the likelihood of the general population. So that's something to me that, that we can propagate to every university in the country and see tremendous success. Yeah, and one of the things that Interact Lifeline is actively engaged in is um, our six pilot programs with collegiate recovery communities across the country. We're using our technology to automate how they serve their students, how they educate their audiences, how they direct the activities, and how they raise funds to operate. And our goal and our hope is to take that technology and that program across the country and support and motivate other colleges to extend services that have been so successful at Kennesaw. So I'm, I'm sure that the Kennesaw State model is gonna be um, in use in many places. So in thinking about um, what you think will make Interact Lifeline successful, what would be some of the things that you are looking for as part of the team to really um, benchmark how we will succeed in our endeavor? Well, I, I think that, you know, for me, there's the, you know, the three pillars that we talk about. It's, it's the work we're going to do to, you know, develop incredible efficiencies for the collegiate recovery communities so that we can push that out to every university that's willing and able to, to get involved. It's certainly the kind of outpatient extension of inpatient um, using tools to kind of add accountability, um, you know, add, use technology to basically extend inpatient so we can have higher rates of success and do that in the most efficient way possible so that we can deliver it to as many people as possible. And then the last thing, and, and you know, which could end up being, you know, bigger than all of them is this idea of being a repository for resources for parents that I know, you know, I have a son who's a sophomore in college at UCF. And so I just, you know, raised a child through, you know, through this kind of, you know, we're not done yet. <laughs> we're not there, but, but through this crazy world. But the idea of giving parents a, a way to, to lean on each other, to understand best practices, to learn some things that can mitigate the risk for, for their children in addiction, to learn the warning signs, um, the types of things that children go through that lead them to addictive behavior. And then, of course, understanding that once you have a child who's who's um, starting to um, have the ideation to abuse drugs or alcohol you know what do I do now and then of course that goes into resources around full-blown addiction but for me I think that if we can focus on 
those three areas, um, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that it's a very dangerous time to be raising children right now, especially with um, the onset of fentanyl and other uh, drugs that if you overdose um, with that, there's awful no coming back to it. And certainly some of the same technology that we're talking about deploying would have saved my daughter's life had she been um, wearing the wearable that I'm wearing right now to detect her blood oxygen and, and um, heart rate. So for those people that are listening and they think that this is a, the opioid crisis is a really big thing, kind of too hard to get your mind around and how you can help, I'd like to present three calls to action that I think that um, that you can support our initiative. You know, one of the benchmarks of success is going to be our financial staying power to get these technologies into the marketplace and get them deployed correctly with collegiate recovery treatment and other organizations so they become a, a viral initiative. And three ways that we are looking for people to help us are um, number one, we've got a 501c3 organization called Interact Cares. And so if you are interested in turning your financial success into substance and want to support the 5013C, we will use those funds to provide our technology to collegiate recovery, civic organizations, and other nonprofits that can use this technology to educate and engage their audience, but they may not be able to afford it. So it's to defray the cost of providing services to others. For those of you that are qualified and you are interested in investing in a really good healthcare IT technology company, um, we're offering people the opportunity to become one of our early stage investors in Interact Lifeline. Um, you can go to our website, interactlifeline.com, and there's information about that. And the third way to help us is if you don't fall into either one of those categories, but you know people that organizations that we could help, people that you think have been touched by addiction that would want to be attached to our cause, don't hesitate to refer them over to us. We'd love to have relationships with them and get to know them um, so they can, they can help us in what is a, a mission critical um, initiative that we have. So Kurt, any final thoughts? No, just that, you know, for people to understand that there's, you know, certainly um, a benevolence to what we're doing, uh, but it's also inc really important that we build because um, our ability to be profitable, especially, especially early stage, is going to allow us to extend this gift to more and more people. So uh, we're going to be focused on building a company uh, that, can, that can truly scale and grow and deliver these services all over the country. So we appreciate you being part of Microcast and being part of Interact. And thank you for your support and thank the audience for listening to what we're doing. Thanks for having me. This is Carolyn Bradfield, and you've been listening to our microcast series in our Convey Channel Partner Program.